Good morning, Christ City. We're here now again in Matthew 7. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where we're drawing to a conclusion now, Jesus confronts us and he draws us to a place of response in a series of images in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 27. And he gives us these images to provoke a response from us as we now come to the end of the message. He says, there are two gates. He asks us the question, which will you choose? Which way will you choose to pursue? There are two kinds of prophets. Who will you listen to? In our passage this morning, he'll talk to us about two disciples and I'll ask the question, which kind of disciple are you? And then next week, we'll look at two builders and he'll ask the question, what is your foundation? And in each place, the option that Jesus puts before us is very similar. Uh, he says, become a disciple of me. Become a disciple of King Jesus. Learn to submit to and follow and obey and pursue King Jesus or, on the other hand, reject him. Or to put it another way, he'll say to us, choose a path of true flourishing. Choose a path of life that is truly life. Find blessing as my disciple or, on the other hand, face destruction. Today we're in the second half now of Jesus teaching about false prophets um, two different kinds of, of teachers. It was right in the middle of this section, two trees. And he had taught us, we looked at it last week, the way that, that false prophets aren't merely those who teach incorrect things, but there are those who look good outwardly, but are not characterized by the greater righteousness of Jesus within. They have a, a discord between the, the outward actions and the inward reality of their hearts. And he uses in that uh, portion, and he introduced us to last week, this idea of the illustration, the analogy of these different trees. A good tree producing good fruit, a uh, diseased tree producing bad fruit. And now in this section, the second half of what he began last week, Jesus looks at us and he says, I'm going to apply that analogy, that illustration to you. Not just to false teachers, but now let's look at ourselves. Let's look at ourselves here in the church. And here Jesus challenges us to respond to his words with repentance and with humble faith so that we will be good trees that do the will of the Father from the heart. So that's what this passage is going to be about. So we're going to jump into this morning. Jesus challenging us to receive his words with repentant and humble faith that receives his words deep in the heart and produces good fruit as a result. So we're going to jump into this right now and our outline will be this. We're going to look at doing the will of the Father we're going to look second at being known. And third, we're going to close considering uh, some applications about deep repentance. So look with me at our first point, doing the will of the Father. And look right away at chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus says this in that passage. He says, Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So when I was 18 years old, I applied to a Christian university, and part of that application was to write an essay that was describing my Christian faith. And my 18-year-old self was pretty insecure, and actually as I, I wrote that essay, I labored over this thing. I was so uh, concerned with how I was coming across in the essay. Part of my insecurity came from this place where, uh, as a homeschooled uh, youth, um, I wasn't sure that I would measure up academically with the rest of the first-year students that were applying to the university. And I think that the insecurity that I felt and that I labored over and brought into that, into that essay was on every single page. It was in every sentence. 
The reality was that I tried all throughout to sound smarter and to sound more spiritual than I really was. It was really stupid. It was false. It was, it was vain. As I've reflected this week on this time in my life, I, I feel bad for the person in the admissions office that actually had to, uh, to read that essay. What they would have seen there. I tried so hard to, to present myself as something that I was not. And I certainly uh, used a lot of words that I didn't know how to pronounce, but I had to look up in dictionaries in order to try and uh, uh, make myself appear to be something different. The problem was that I was really, really trying to convince the admissions office to accept me. I was really trying to convince them that I was something that I wasn't. You know, similarly, Jesus knows that many of us live our Christian lives like me writing that essay. He knows that talk and that external actions are cheap when really the lived quality of our lives over the course of our life, our fruit will be the thing that displays what we really are. He knows talk and external actions are cheap and he says to us, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You see, the kingdom of heaven Christ City, the kingdom of heaven isn't filled with people who have good SA writing skills, who can pass themselves off for something that they're not. The kingdom of heaven isn't filled with people who are good actors, who can get all the external religious aspects of their life in line so they can pull the wool over uh, St. Peter at heaven's gates, as the jokes go. No, the kingdom of heaven is filled with people who do the will of the Father who is in heaven. The kingdom of heaven is full of good trees that over a lifetime in hardship and good times and seasons that are difficult and seasons that are full of joy that faithfully produce good fruit. What does, that good look, what does that good life look like then? What does doing the will of the Father look like? Well, Jesus has consistently been unpacking the will of the Father for us in this sermon. And the will of the Father is this. The will of the Father is fundamentally an orientation of the heart. The will of the Father that Jesus has been teaching about, that he's been calling us towards a greater righteousness he's been pressing in on us, is not necessarily religious practice, but the heart that it comes from. It's humility. It's meekness. It's mourning over the brokenness of our hearts and over the sin in our hearts and in this world. It's hungering and thirsting for righteousness. It's a heart orientation that loves mercy and forgiveness. The will of the Father is to love God deeply and inwardly so that our hearts are changed and not just our external actions. Jesus teaches us throughout the Sermon on the Mount that the will of the Father is to be so shaped by his love and his grace and his mercy and forgiveness and compassion toward us that we willingly extend it outwards toward others, especially and even to our enemies. The will of the Father is a heart that is shaped by love for him so that our religious practice, all the things that we do in the church, our, our giving, our singing, uh, our caring for one another, our praying, our fasting, whatever it might be, that all of those things are done, not in order to impress other people, not in order to gain glory for ourselves, but we're, we're doing those things for an audience of one, for the glory of God alone. So the will of the Father is not to serve two masters, Jesus teaches, but to serve one master with a whole and devoted heart. The will of the Father is to live for God's glory and not our own, to love him above everything else in our lives. The will of the Father is to know him and to love him as our Father, to receive his love with openness as children as we come to him. 
The will of the Father is to hear the words of Jesus and to obey them. See, the will of the Father is for our Father to have our hearts. God desires our hearts. And it's what Jesus has been teaching us throughout the Sermon on the Mount. He doesn't just want the external things in our lives. He wants the heart from which those things come from. And the reality is that every member of the kingdom of heaven is a person who has come to Jesus from the heart, obediently doing the will of the Father outwardly because of a changed heart inwardly. And on the other hand, to those who continue to live their Christian lives with the hypocrisy between their outward actions and the inward reality of their hearts, Jesus says something quite different. Jesus says this in verses 20 to 23. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Christ City, these words are frightening, aren't they? They're frightening because the people that come to Jesus on the day of judgment, they look good outwardly. They even do these miraculous works. They even prophesy in his name. And yet Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. You see, Jesus sees the inner person. He sees what's in your heart. And he's never going to be fooled by our outward piety when inside we're full of lust and bitterness and anger. He's never going to be fooled by our profession of love for him when our hearts and minds are fixated and consumed by the things of this world. When we live and worship and delight in everything around us except him. He's never going to be fooled by our declarations of loyalty to him when we actually refuse to repent. And we refuse to, to turn away from what he's calling us to turn away from and to trust and obey, and to follow him humbly and obediently. He's never going to be fooled by us when we say that we love him and then refuse to, to take the love and the compassion and forgiveness that he's given to us and refuse to extend it outward to others, especially our enemies. And that's why in Matthew 5, 21, Jesus says this, Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You see, when the harvest from our tree at judgment is a basket of thorns, we're not going to come to Jesus and show it to him and say, Jesus, these are really apples. He's not going to be convinced. He sees through our hearts. And he'll say to us, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. What an interesting thing to say. As we look now at our second point, being known, we need to realize that in the Hebrew Bible, in the, in the Bible that we have, this language of knowing someone is much different than we commonly think of it today. See, today I think we think of knowing someone and we think about knowing information about that person. But in the, the literature of the Bible, knowing has a much deeper uh, uh, element to it. Knowing in the, the first half of the Bible is often a euphemism um, for a sexual relationship between a husband and a wife. 
It's also something that is used to describe this knowledge. It's used to describe God's most intimate relationship with his people. It's a deep intimacy of a relationship that's communicated by this word, no. I'm going to show you an example of this from Psalm chapter uh, 1, Psalm 1, uh, right now. But I'd like to actually show you not just the verse that has this example in it, but to show you the whole psalm. And there's a reason for this. The reason is that this psalm, Psalm 1, has a number of parallels with the whole Sermon on the Mount and actually with our passage today in particular. In this first psalm, David, he describes the person who will flourish. David, who was one of the kings of Israel, who wrote many of the psalms in the book of Psalms in Scripture, he's describing the way to a blessed life. Very much like Jesus introduced the Sermon on the Mount to us, describing the blessed way of life in the Beatitudes. And he says this, he says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. There's the use of that word know. The Lord knows, he's familiar with, he has a relationship with, he has intimacy with the righteous. But the way of the wicked, on the other hand, will perish. Notice the similar themes here in Jesus' words uh, in Matthew 7, 15 to 23, with this passage here in Psalm 1. There's a lot of similarity. It's really easy to notice that the similarities he talks about becoming a good tree, about flourishing, about producing good fruit. The question for us, I think, that we need to ask as we look at Psalm 1 is this. But how does the fruit grow? How does it get there? Well, in Psalm 1, it starts with a genuine humility that receives the word of God. It starts with a, an openness of heart and a receptivity to the word of God. Look at verse 2. It says this, but his delight, this blessed person's delight, is in the law of the Lord. They delight in the Bible. They delight in the words of God. And as a result, he is like a tree, the psalm says, that yields its fruit in season. This is a person who prospers. And then all the way at the end, in Psalm chapter 1, verse 6, we read that this person is a person who is known by God. It's this person who has relationship with God. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So Christ City, Jesus is saying the same sort of thing in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, 21 to 23, he's saying the same sort of thing as is going on in this psalm. And he's challenging us to receive his words, to receive his teaching. He's finished his sermon now. He's coming to its conclusion. And he's saying, will you receive my words? Will you delight in my words like the man of Psalm 1 who delights in the word of God? Will you receive my teaching with humility and repentance, with openness in your heart, so that you will become a good tree who produces good fruit and does the will of the Father, so that on the day of judgment, I won't reject you, but I will know you. I will delight in you. We will have a rich relationship. Christ, did you see in Psalm 1, then, and in the Sermon on the Mount, do you see where true blessing and flourishing begin? There's a starting place. It starts with this. It all starts with humbly receiving the words of God with humility and repentance. 
The starting place is coming to God and coming to Jesus at the end of the sermon and hearing his words, receiving his words with delight, with humility, and with repentance. So as we close with our last point, deep repentance, I want you to think about this. I want you to consider it with me. Consider the ways that that this needs to land on us. And as I do so, I want to encourage you right now to imagine you're back in the theater at Fifth Avenue. Imagine you're there and kind of have, uh, I don't know, the, the, the view from the, the ceiling in your mind looking down at you, looking down at your friends, looking down at your siblings in Jesus, looking down maybe on those strangers in the corner that you actually haven't had a chance to meet yet, but you keep seeing each week. And get that picture in your mind. And then hear Jesus' words. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean for us, Christ City? What does that mean for you? Jesus, in his kindness, he won't let us miss the difficulty of the words that he's saying in this passage. And at the end of the sermon, he kind of stands up and takes a mirror and shows it to us and says, look, I don't want you to miss this. I'm talking about you. I'm not talking about anybody else. Are you the sort of person who is a good tree? Are you the sort of person that that is receiving my word with humility and repentance and does the will of my Father? Is that you? Will I know you at the day of judgment? He confronts us and says, the stakes are eternity. The stakes are knowing Jesus in his blessing forever in a world that is fixed when all is made well or being rejected by him and facing destruction. I want to encourage you, Christ City, don't let a text like this one pass you by. Don't let it glance off you and bounce away. Don't let Jesus' words just slip away from you. He wants you to wrestle with them. He wants you to reflect on them and to apply them to your own heart, to search your heart, to come before him, to seek him in repentance and in prayer. So ask yourself, I want you to ask yourself this today, right now, but today when you have a quiet moment, I want you to go and take time and be with Jesus and ask him this, what kind of disciple am I? Would you reveal by your spirit, how I'm receiving your words. Do I hear the words of Jesus? Do I hear your words with humility and repentance? Do I grieve over my sin? Do I strive to make changes in my life in order to live in obedience to you, Jesus? Do I cry out to you to change my heart, to forgive me, and to transform me by your spirit? Am I that sort of disciple, or am I not? I want to encourage you, whatever your answer is right now in this moment, Jesus is full of grace and mercy to receive sinners like us. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30, Jesus says this. He says, Come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
You see, Jesus says all that he says here in the Sermon on the Mount. He says these words in their, their difficulty, in their hard and, and cutting and laser beam focused conviction on our hearts. He says them as a Savior who's inviting us to receive his grace. He's not saying them to condemn us, but to save us. He's saying it to draw us out of our hardness of heart, to draw us out of our pride, to evaluate who we truly are wisely, to turn away from our pride, to turn away from our sin, and to come to him to receive the grace that he willingly gives us. He gives grace. He commands us, but he gives grace. He calls us, but he gives grace. He's willing to forgive, to wash clean, and to make new. And he's not going to ask you for anything that he's not also willing to empower you to do. And by his grace, Jesus is someone who receives sinners like us and begins to work in us. Little by little, day by day, we don't become these sorts of trees overnight. Trees don't grow overnight. We become those who little by little receive the word of God and are shaped by it over the course of our lives and produce good fruit that will last for his glory. So how are you respond? How are you going to respond to Jesus' words this morning? Will you receive them? Will you receive the, the words of the Sermon on the Mount with humility and repentance? Will you receive them with a the sort of heart orientation that Isaiah talks about in Isaiah 66 verse 2? When God says this, but this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble, he who is humble, Christ said he. He who is contrite in spirit, who is full of repentance, and who trembles at the word of God. Christ said he, don't be a fool who says, Lord, Lord, to Jesus when your heart is far from him. Don't do that. Don't profess to be something outwardly when it's not true of you inwardly. Instead, as you look in the mirror of who you really are, repent. And come to Jesus and ask him to change who you truly are. Ask him to do a work in your heart to help you to receive his word with humility and repentance. Don't proudly ignore him. Humble yourself before God and he will, he will exalt you. You see, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Grace City, Jesus is inviting us into flourishing. He's inviting us into blessing. He's inviting us into life that is truly life. Once you come to him in repentance and receive it along with him, 